Hi, I'm Jessica. And I'm Brittany. You're listening to Suspicion. consistent listeners, you will notice that Morgan is not here today. And for a little bit, I thought maybe I will do a solo recording. And while I could talk to a wall, I don't think that's quite as fun as having someone to bounce ideas off. And I realized that I have two other sisters. So today, uh, I have my sister Brittany here to talk about two cases. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) So today we are going to be discussing two cases. And our theme of the day is BF phonies. Do you get it? (laughs) So instead of BFFs, best friends forever, we are spelling phony with an F instead of a PH, and we do know how to spell phony, but um, we are talking about best friends who have literally stabbed their best friend in the back. Yeah, so with that, let's jump right in. Our first story is the story of Tiffany Rowell, Rachel Colarudis, Marcus Ray Priscilla, and Adelbert Nicholas Sanchez. So this is also known as the Clear Lake Massacre. On July 18th, 2003, Tiffany Rachel, Tiffany's boyfriend Marcus, and Marcus's cousin, Adelbert, were brutally murdered in Tiffany's house. The police counted 40 shots fired with most of the shots directed at Tiffany and Rachel. Tiffany and Rachel were both shot multiple times, including in the crotch, which showed evidence of sexual envy. Oh. And the, the men were not shot in the genital area. So clearly, I mean, we watch a lot of Criminal Minds, so we know this means some personal yeah. vengeance. There, there was a big problem. Mm-hmm. Rachel had been shot in the butt, implying that she had been trying to run away when she was shot. It also appeared that Rachel was bludgeoned repeatedly in the head with the butt of a pistol. Oh, this is terrible. I know. The killings were so brutal that it was clear to police that the crime was committed due to a deep personal hatred. The overkill the word for what we were talking about before, um, directed specifically at the women, led detectives to believe the hatred was directed towards them. Oh, so they really took it to the next level. That's the overkill. Yes. Yep. So beyond what it would take just to kill someone. It's like you keep going. Oh, God. So creepy. I know. The police struggled to solve the crime for three years until they got a break in the case. A tip came into the police line that led officers to Christine Payalilla. Officers found a newly married Payalilla in a hotel room filled with over 100 needles from heroin use and covered in dog feces. That is quite a way to celebrate a marriage. Yeah. She was actually in that hotel room for seven months without coming out. And the dogs didn't come out either. Okay, clearly. That door did not open and close. No. And, I mean, 
partly, I think, because of the serious drug use that was happening, clearly. Um, and then partly because of something we will talk about a little bit later in the oh. story. And also, though, did she not need to eat? Is that what happens with serious drug use? And wouldn't you die? Yeah, that's a really good question, and I definitely am not qualified enough to talk about it, but... Right, like addicts will definitely go for drugs over food. And I think some drugs can be like an appetite suppressant. Like even smoking right. a cigarette, right? Right. Where people can get really skinny because they won't eat as much. I think so. So that's like obviously not the same level as heroin. Right. Or maybe they were survivalists and they had a lot of Campbell's chicken noodle soup stocked up in that hotel room. I don't know if drug use and survivalists <laughs> typically, typically go hand in hand, but maybe. <laughs> um, so... When police found Payalilla, she quickly started talking, and in her confessions, she implicated her previous boyfriend, Christopher Lee Snyder, in the killings. Okay, so who were these people, and how were they all related to each other? Tiffany Rowell and Rachel Colarudis were two of the most popular girls at Clear Lake High School. Um, they met Christine Payalilla, and unlike the popular Tiffany and Rachel, Christine was viciously bullied in school because of her alopecia, and that's where her hair was falling out. Yeah, right? so like all her hair fell out, so she would wear like bad wigs, and she would try and like draw eyebrows on. Oh, I forgot uh, about eyebrows. Yeah, and her... What, actually, what happened, I think that brought this on, so I think alopecia is um, a res can be a result of extreme stress. And her dad died when she was really young, and that's when the alopecia um, either inflamed or started. Um, uh, so she had some trauma in her life. Mm -hmm. And then also she was bullied in life. And... Yeah, like when she was walking down the halls, like kids would pull off her wig. Oh, no, no, I can't even hear about that. I know. It's like, it's, I don't understand how people are so mean. And what year was this again? So this is, they're in, what year? 2003. 2003. Well, because, well, obviously I work in public schools and um, I feel like, we are more on top of bullying than probably they were in 2003. But still, kids can be sneaky. And a lot of times the adults don't even see it happening, or especially if the student doesn't report it or doesn't talk about it. Right. And nowadays, like in 2003, you weren't, you weren't like, if you were going to bully someone, you had to do it out in the open. Like, you didn't have the internet. Right. And I feel like nowadays the bullying is just, like, more anonymous and on the web. Or not even anonymous, but just more digital. Right. Um, and when people are behind a computer screen, they can say whatever they want. And they do say whatever right. they want. And 
that will actually transition into our next story, which we'll get into. But I watched a um, documentary on Netflix, and I can't think of the name right now, but I will try and follow up. Um, but it was about Instagram and social media and, and kids these days who kind of grew up with that as part of their like social structure from, mm-hmm. a, from a young age, um, which... I think even my age, we didn't really get heavily into social media until we were like high school, but even like more so approaching college. Right. So that's kind of the the next generation. And they said the tough thing with like the cyberbullying is that you used to be able to go home and be in a safe environment. And now kids are bullied at school and then they go home and they're still uh, being bullied. Oh, that's too much for me. Yeah. Just the way that... They in the documentary that they worded that that right is really upsetting. Right, there's like no safe space anymore Ugh. for you to kind of decompress and be yourself and be accepted. Um, if you're being constantly bullied, so. I have a lot of issues with social media, mm-hmm. just in general. I know you do too. Yeah. Um, I just don't really see the positive to it. I know. Well, you know, I'm not on any social media uh-huh. as of a couple good like five years ago now yeah um and I can definitely say I don't feel like I'm missing anything now with it and in fact you are probably really benefiting from not seeing other people's photos because it's impossible I think as a human not to compare your life to somebody else's life for sure and I definitely don't have as much FOMO yes. as people do because I have no idea what other people are getting up to on a Saturday night exactly. when I'm on the couch <laughs> eating a pint of dairy-free ice cream. Exactly. <laughs> um, all right. So Christine was bullied in school due to her alopecia. She had extremely low self-esteem, um, but... Tiffany and Rachel decided that they would take her under their wing. Which is so sweet. Like, yes. you know these, and, like, there's no spoiler here. Like, they don't turn on Christine. Like, they were nice friends to her. Right. And um, cared about her and really tried to help her. Right. And honestly, in high school, um, Tiffany and Rachel could have just... You know, everybody's insecure in high school. And they could have just felt really good about their own social status. And they could have worried that bringing Christine under their wing would have, I don't know, diminished their popularity in some way. But they didn't. No. Tiffany and Rachel taught Christine how to do her makeup, how to dress. And they helped her buy more attractive, stylish wigs. And they completely transformed Christine um, to such a point that Christine was later named Miss Irresistible. So Tiffany and Rachel, I don't know what they would have been doing today, but I could imagine they would be some stylists in L.A. Seriously. Maybe for the Kardashians. (laughs) I was, I did get a kick out of the Miss Irresistible title because... That would not fly nowadays. No, exactly. There's no way there would be a Miss Irresistible award at 
any school nowadays. So I thought this felt very early 2000s. Very good point. Mm -hmm. It's kind of inappropriate. <laughs> and the complete makeover. It really, like, this whole beginning part of the story made me think of a early 2000s, 90s, like, rom-com makeover. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So following Christine's transformation, her life was really looking up. And in fact, she also got a boyfriend, Christopher Lee Snyder, that same year. Snyder is described as a, a pushy and aggressive kid with a hard drug habit and a criminal record. Um, but Paolilla had her issues too. She was very jealous. Um, and that led her to go into crazy rages on Snyder, um, if he even looked at another girl. Paolilla would hit Snyder and got another nickname, the Psycho, because of her behavior. So also, all of these labels are a little bit tricky for me to take as well. <laughs> so whether the negative label or the positive label, just because I, I've heard that sometimes people even try to live up to a label. Um, so even if their behavior isn't that extreme, sometimes they, they kind of take it to more of an extreme. Right. And I would arguably call Miss Irresistible, which is why I don't think it would happen nowadays, a questionably positive. It's Good just point. it's just that Christine clearly her like she was bullied for her looks and then she was, you know, champion or awarded for her looks. And so and I think that definitely plays into the jealousy aspect of things. Yes. It's just she's I'm sure she would feel like everything all of her worth is from this her exterior and there's a lot uh, riding on that, but also the insecurities of being bullied about her looks, I, I feel like is a complicated dynamic. Very good point. And either way, the label the labels put a lot of pressure on exactly. A yeah. And the psycho that nickname was actually given to her by his family, Christopher Snyder's family. Oh. Yes. Okay, that's a big problem. So, if your family is not behind the relationship. That's a big problem. Yep. They did not like her. I mean, clearly this is an unhealthy relationship. Clearly. And to make matters worse, at times, Paolilla would even spend the night on the front lawn, sleeping, trying to get into the house, yelling, going nuts, rattling the screen door, etc., etc. Just obsessive and unhealthy. Yes. So what happened on the night of July 18th in 2003? Snyder and Paolilla went to Tiffany's house to steal money and drugs. Tiffany and Rachel had graduated by this time and were bringing in large cash tips working at a local strip club, which Paolilla would know because these are her friends. Right, right. And Marcus, Tiffany's boyfriend, was also a drug dealer. I am going to tell you a series of events that is from the point of view of Paolilla. So saying that as let's take it with a little grain of salt and then we'll get into it a little bit more. Snyder surprised Paolilla by handing her a gun just as they entered the house. When they entered the house, Snyder shot Marcus 
And then Paolilla explains that she started firing blindly around the room while crying. On the other hand, police say the shots were fired extremely accurately, almost in an execution style. Okay. So we're having some problems with our story already. (laughs) Some things are not matching up. Nope. As they were leaving the house, Paolilla went back in to make sure they were all dead. So she's saying she was just like hysterical, but now she's trying to confirm they're all dead. And when she saw Rachel trying to call 911 as she was choking on her own blood, she beat her with the butt of the pistol until she was dead. I don't even know what to say. Clearly her story is... Right. I wonder if she was coming down from drugs while the police were interviewing her... Because you just wouldn't admit that to the police, that she went back into the house to make sure that everyone was dead. Was she trying to say that she didn't want anyone suffering? I just don't understand. Or I I don't understand either. And uh, I really don't know. But it seems like she's trying to push blame off of herself. But then... Also, maybe trying to cop to things that would be definitely linked to her. That's a good In a way. Right, right. And she was trying to say that she was very surprised when Snyder handed her a gun as they entered the house. But all of the emotion behind this, it seems like it was definitely premeditated and that they weren't just going there to steal money and drugs. Yeah, because she never said it was, like, a drug deal gone bad, right? Right. It's like they walked in and started killing people. And also, did Tiffany and Rachel do drugs? Because if they were going to Tiffany's house to steal money and drugs, they must have known that there were drugs at Tiffany's house. So, Marcus, Tiffany's boyfriend, was a drug dealer. Oh, right, right, yeah. right. Okay, thank you. Thank so, you. I don't know if, they, if the two um, women did drugs, okay. but... Um, he, he was a drug dealer. Gotcha, that's so, right. Okay. Again, you know, all stuff that Paolilla knows right. because these are her best friends. Best friends. So they're all the 18, 19 range right now. Right. And we sh- we are led to believe that they still were best friends, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Okay. We can't get into her mind, clearly. Right. <laughs> So Paolilla confessed as much to her husband at the time. And between his description of her confession and what she told police, they were able to convict her of four first-degree capital murder charges. So like you said, people felt some premeditation as well. Yeah. She was sentenced to a life sentence and would be eligible for parole in 40 years. So I guess that would put her at somewhere in her 60s. Yeah. She could not be given the death penalty because she was 17 at the time of the crime, making her a juvenile. When police went to arrest Snyder, he ran into the woods with a bottle of soda and pills and took his own life. That is quite the twist. I know. (sighs) So we have speculated a little bit about what Paolilla was thinking. Um, She never actually gave a motive. But in my mind and in others, the nature of the killings and her extreme obsession with Snyder make many people think this had to do with her jealousy issues. 
on my side of things, I think we can't discount the fact that she was addicted to drugs at this time. Right. And it's possible she was doing anything to get drugs. Some people think that it was due to Paolilla's jealousy surrounding an obsession with her boyfriend. So do we think that Snyder, her boyfriend, maybe had made comments about Tiffany and Rachel before? Maybe, or maybe just, I mean, like, we saw pictures of the two girls. They're definitely beautiful. Yes. Women. And they so maybe it was just this, like, they had everything she had always wanted. She has this boyfriend. She has jealousy issues around that. She's feeling insecure about having him around her beautiful friends. Right. And so not necessarily, like, even him making comments about them. But I think the drugs with the jealousy was a deadly combination. That was like a CSI CSI Miami. Yes, it was. And your facial expression as well. Although nobody can see that. No, (laughs) just you. All right, so to shift gears to our next case, this case is um, about a young lady named Cynthia Hoffman. The internet can be an awesome place. It brings you podcast-like hours. (laughs) Not mine, though. I'm just a celebrity sister for for this occasion. But it can also bring you down a dark, true crime hole or even lead someone to commit a horrible crime. That is exactly what led to the murder of Cynthia Hoffman. On June 2nd, 2019... Mm -hmm. So this was about... Not even two months ago that this crime happened. Oh my gosh. Wait, I didn't notice that before. Yeah, it just happened. Wow. Oh my gosh. Okay, well, on June 2nd, 2019, 19-year-old Cynthia went out to spend time with her friends. But after hours passed with no word from Cynthia, her father knew something was wrong. And Cynthia's father called the police and was told that he had to wait 24 hours to report his daughter missing. That's standard procedure, right? Yeah. We know from our shows. It's it's really weird. I have, I, I feel like I get conflicting thoughts on this. I mean, she was 19, so I think 24 hours may be for an adult. Because I think for kids nowadays, they'll start looking immediately. Okay, okay. And this is something, so last week... Uh, Morgan and I talked about the Johnny Gosh case, which we just released. You haven't had a chance to listen yet. No. But that's the story of a missing boy. And at that time, police had to wait 72 hours before searching. 72 hours? Because he was 12 years old, and they said, oh, he could be a runaway. And I've been thinking about this a lot. I don't know why, but it's been, like, on my mind. Where they say this thing, these things like, oh, you know what, they could have just run away. run away, But if it's a child, that's concerning. Very. Is it better for a kid to be on, like, is it okay for a kid to be on the streets because they're young and impulsive and don't can't deal with their emotions and so now they're on the streets homeless? And, like, I either way, I don't think there's a scenario where someone should run away and 
you should let someone disappear into thin air and get into, you know, like very good point. And I'm also thinking that even a 19 year old as a parent, you know, your child's behavior and patterns and you know, if your child would just not call you or not text you back, or if your child is always able to be reached and so I honestly feel like if the parent is her father knew something was wrong right if the parent comes to the police I feel like get looking Mm -hmm. if this is something that's really out of the ordinary in terms of behaviors right yes and the what I read was that they had a really close family, and they were always checking in with each other. Oh, that's like ours. So, yeah. exactly. So, he he knew something wasn't right here. Something wasn't right. So, he was able to wait 12 hours, which I'm sure was excruciating, before he called the police again, and the search began. Cynthia's best friend, 18-year-old Denali Bremer, kept in close contact with Cynthia's father throughout the whole process of of searching for Cynthia. And two days later, Cynthia's body was found on the bank of the Akletna River. Her hands and feet were bound with duct tape, which was also wrapped around her head, covering her mouth, and she had been fatally shot in the head. So whenever we talk about these stories, I'm sure a lot of people do this, but I I tend to think about myself in the situation of the victim, which can make you really upset really quick. Yes. And this, I just like picture myself in the situation. It's so scary. Yeah. Like, can you, can you imagine being... Oh, God. No, I can't. Let's not get too deep into it. And I can't even let it. my mind go there. No, you shouldn't. Yeah. I, I shouldn't either, but it's... It's a lot. Yeah. Um, so, in another two days, police identified Denali Bremer as one of the six people responsible for Cynthia's death. Denali is talking to her dad and... Isn't it something typically the person who really tries to be involved in the investigation? I mean, maybe not typically, but somebody who really wants to keep abreast of any information that's coming in from the police, from the family, is right potentially culpable. Potentially, because they're trying to keep tabs on how close you're getting to them kind right. of thing. right. That's definitely something we've seen from all of our crime shows. Yes, exactly. So why did Bremer do it? It all circles back to a catfishing scheme. So So again, the internet. The internet. Trolls. For anyone who's not familiar with the term catfishing, in my mind this was coined by the MTV show with, actually he did a documentary with Neve, I believe his name was. I think you're right. Um, uh, the idea of a catfishing scheme is basically on the internet. You can be whoever you want. People convince other people that they are someone that they are not. Mm-hmm. And By sending pictures that are not of them. Yep. And chatting in this persona and people fall in love and get convinced. And so again, the theme of today is BF phonies. However... It seems to really come down to insecurity. Yeah. Both of these cases. Right. Bremer 
had fallen in love with a man she knew as Tyler from Kansas on the internet. Police later discovered that Tyler was actually 21-year-old Darren Schillmiller of Indiana. Schillmiller and Bremer had been discussing a plan to rape and murder someone in Alaska for weeks before Cynthia's death. Schillmiller offered Bremer $9 million to carry out a murder and capture it on film. It's just why? And I guess insecurity, because if somebody who you met on the internet all of a sudden brings that up, is that not a red flag? Right. Maury and I have actually talked about this a couple times in different cases. And we're like, like when you have an accomplice to a crime, it's like, how do you go up to someone and be like, hey, you interested in committing a murder? Right. And what are the odds that two people with this same personality or dynamic or something, what are the odds that they meet each other on the internet? It has to be that one has the stronger personality, the other's more insecure, and just goes with it. And this... Because they're in love. This Darren Schillmiller, for all we know, he was looking for someone who he would could get to do this. Right. So he you was know, very manipulative and was... Right. Like, I, I actually don't know... Uh, since this is a newer case, there's still a lot of information developing and yeah. everything and details coming out. But... And I don't know Darren Schillmiller's personality or, or what actually led to this being okay but if you think of like Charles Manson I mean he looked for specific type of people right that he could brainwash that's a good point so I mean he probably met millions or whatever thousands of people but he found you know the people right it could be something like that too I, I'm I can't say for for certain though right. so right and how would you be if you were like okay nine million dollars is worth it to murder someone which is so sick yeah how would you like what would convince you that you could actually get that like you know or I'm that saying he like, had nine million dollars yeah. to give to someone so I'm saying like a base level you who actually is like yeah I'm down to commit murder right and then second level if you're like I'm doing it for the payout quote unquote right. like why would you think you would be getting this money exactly good point so also so we have two people who are like yeah let's commit a crime yeah but Bremer is able to find four more accomplices. There are four more people who are indicted in this case. What? So six total. Six people. <laughs> I just don't get it. No, I don't either. So everybody is so gullible. Because I'm sure Bremer then said, I'm getting $9 million for this. So let's just split it. Exactly. That's equally. exactly what happened. Yep. Okay. So Bremer recruited four friends to help out with the murder. Caleb Leland, who was 19, and Caden McIntosh, 16. And two other juveniles. I'm guessing since they're juveniles, they can't release their right. names. So they remain unnamed. The group decided to target Cynthia Hoffman as the murder victim. One of Bremer's supposed, quote unquote, best friends. Let's just say that I remember laughing at you when you were talking about someone and said, she's a TF. And I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> and you said, she's a true friend. Yeah. These people today are not TFs. Not TFs. Okay, so 
the plan was put in motion. Everybody was recruited, the, the group was ready to go. On June 2nd, Bremer and McIntosh picked up Cynthia under the guise of going for a hike. They stopped in a clearing and bound Cynthia so she would not be able to escape. Then McIntosh allegedly shot Cynthia one time in the back of the head with a gun provided by Bremer. Throughout the attack, Bremer was sending videos and photographs of the events to Shill Miller. I, I also try and think like, oh, you know, these are young kids, they're teenagers are dumb and whatever, blah, 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 but not like sickos. No, exactly. And also though, so you have this, it, it wasn't a paper trail, but if you're sending videos and photographs... It's worse than a paper course, trail. It's way worse than a paper trail. And of course you're going to be caught, right? The lack of any thought process. Yes. So that's the thing. You're like, okay, the lack of thought process in here is amazing. But then also, they like recruited people and talked about it for weeks. So there was a lot of forethought. They left Cynthia's body by the side of the river. Bremer and McIntosh destroyed some of Cynthia's clothing, purse, and cell phone. And Bremer started texting Cynthia's father misleading information about the timeline of the night to cover her steps. Yes. So that was from Bremer's own cell phone, not from Cynthia's. Yes. They destroyed Bremer's. her cell phone. Obviously, Cynthia's father you know, knew she was going out with friends. So Bremer says, oh, we dropped her off at this place. That's when we last saw her. I see. So police state that Bremer initially told them that she, McIntosh, and Cynthia had gone to Thunderbird Falls to take pictures of each other wrapped in duct tape and that she had no idea McIntosh would go on to shoot Cynthia. So teenagers these days, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit removed now, but are they taking pictures of each other wrapped in duct tape? Is that a typical <laughs> I would Friday like, night? I would like to know as well. I'm, I'm sure it's a no, though. <laughs> <laughs> I would guess that's a no That's as my well. best guess here. Um, so when police started searching Bremer's phone, they immediately found child pornography that was embedded in text messages between Bremer and Shill Miller. Bremer claims that she was directed by Shill Miller to sexually assault two minors, one who was eight or nine years old and one who was 15 years old and take more video. This is just really piling on for these two lovebirds. Yeah, let's just move on from that yeah. because that is even more upsetting. Yeah. Bremer, Schillmiller, McIntosh, Leyland, and the two unnamed juveniles were indicted on murder and conspiracy charges. Schillmiller and Bremer face federal child pornography charges. And um, this is, oh yeah. I just, I'm interested, um, I got to... I want to keep following up on this case. Bremer actually sexually assaulted two minors, two children. And were they boys I don't or know. girls? I don't know. Not that it matters, but it's very interesting. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, let's just keep moving on because yeah. that's I know. way more I know. upsetting than I even thought. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that had been something that they were discussing. I see. That was the child pornography on Bremer's phone was from when she had sexually assaulted. And this is interesting too. 
Cynthia had a developmental disorder and was intellectually at the level of a seventh grader. So Cynthia's father believed that his daughter likely thought it was all a game until it went too far. And another reason I wanted um, to talk about this is just to also get in, like, give everyone an idea of the kind of person that Cynthia was. So she did have this de- developmental disorder, but she graduated high school, and a lot of people think she wouldn't be able to do it, and she met with tutors, she did everything, she worked super hard, and she graduated high school, and she was about to get her permit, she was working on getting her driver's permit, because she wanted, her dad was going to give her his car, so she could have it, and so I just, we like to spotlight, you know, these are real, real people who had aspirations and dreams, and we're doing their best every day to get the most out of their lives. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to keep following this case and, and see what the actual charges come out to be and, and what the, what happens in the case. Um, and I'll try to keep everyone updated. Let me know off air because I may not be on again for a while. <laughs> <laughs> you can also listen and find out on air. Oh, yes, I will do that as well. <laughs> You better do that as well. (laughs) Every week, um, some of you may know, we like to spotlight a different organization that we think um, is doing really good work and that relates to our case. And that maybe if it had intervened in this case, could have saved some lives. So um, the organization this week is Stop Bullying. So the website is www.stopbullying.gov. And their mission is stated as parents, school staff, and other adults in the community can help kids prevent bullying by talking about it, building a safe school environment, and creating a community-wide bullying prevention strategy. So please check out their website. They have good tips um, on what to do if you think someone's bullying, great resources with really anything regarding this topic. Um, They have a specific cyberbullying spot on the website so please check it out just be kind to one another I mean we're talking about friends and and friends are the people you choose to be around and to have in your life and um, I just think it's really really sad when someone who you would consider to be a TF turns into a BF phony yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. And thanks for Britt for talking about these really upsetting cases with me today. Thanks, Jess. Thanks for having me. I hope I didn't let Morgan down. Shout out to Momo. We miss you, Momo. <laughs> anyway, check us out. We're going to be posting some resources. Um, we'll post the link to Stop Bullying, some more information about the cases. Um, you can check that all out on our website, suspicion.com, S-I-S-P-I-C-I-O-N, or our Facebook page. And let us know your thoughts about uh, this episode, um, and we're looking forward to hearing from you. All right, thank you. Bye.